This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, good morning. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, um, and we'll be starting in verse 11. Um, and we have another translation issue here. Um, remember, uh, um, I think it was whenever uh, we talked about taste and see, and, and it, was, it was kind of a different translation there. Here... Um, uh, when Tom read, it said, uh, when the Lord comes to punish, or when I come to punish. Uh, and in uh, other versions, it says, uh, uh, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sins upon them. Of course, there's the, the translation you were reading from was giving a, um, uh, an interpretation of that. Uh, uh, what does it mean that the Lord comes to visit? Uh, well, when he comes to visit, he's coming to 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 punish, um, to uh, um, uh, to bring judgment, um, but uh, uh, kind of steals a little bit of my thunder here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, do we want the Lord to visit us? Do we want the Lord to visit us? Uh, um, well, um, yes. We we want we long for the Lord's presence. We 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 want Him to to be with us. Uh, you know the longing of the heart of ancient Israel was was uh, um, O come O come Emmanuel. We think we think about that right now on on the first day of Advent. We we're thinking about the longing for the coming of the Messiah when Jesus did come and He visited us. Um, but as, as the translation that uh, Thomas read from uh, implies, uh, also there's the sense that when the Lord visits, it's He's coming in judgment upon His people. Um, uh, and and uh, today the text we're looking at uh, talks about the, t- the day of visitation uh, that's, that's uh, coming in the future. Um, uh, so that, that's the connection there between those, those passages. Um, we're here again in 1 Peter, and I, I know it's, uh, it's Advent, but I'm just going to keep on going. I'm just going to keep on going through, uh, through 1 Peter. Um, and we're reminded again, um, you know, Peter is writing to believers who are living in the midst of a hostile world. He tells us we're to live as strangers and aliens, right? We're, we're to live as, as, um, as people who, who we understand this world is not our home. Uh, we are, are uh, citizens of another kingdom. Uh, our king is in the heavens and he's coming one day. Uh, and he will put all of his enemies under his feet one day. But in this time between the times, we live uh, by the rules of our king, but we live in a, in a, in a kind of a foreign land um, in which the other people, uh, the people who are not believers, they look at us and we look like foreigners to them. They don't live by the same rules we live by. 
they don't have the same values that we have. They don't have the same culture that we have uh, because, again, we are citizens of the king. We, are, we have been brought from death into life. We have been brought from uh, darkness into light. We have been changed. Our, our, our affections have been made new. And, uh, um, and we are strange. <laughs> we are strange in this world. Um, in First Peter, again, uh, it's just like all the other letters. You have uh, parts of it that are telling us what God has done for us in Jesus, right? Uh, he, what has He done? He has caused us to be born again. He has uh, a, a hope for us in the future. Um, he, he holds us and will not let us go. We are kept by the power of God. Uh, he, and He also gives us commands that are based upon the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus. He says that we're to, as obedient children, on the basis that we become God's children, we are to be holy as He is holy. Um, we are to love one another fervently from the heart. Uh, and, and all of, of these things that, uh, that he's, he's telling us we do on the basis of what God has already done in Jesus Christ. And today we're looking at, again, one of the, one of the commands. This is one of the, the uh, uh, places where he, he gives us a, a, an instruction on how we're to live on the basis of what God has done. So let's go ahead and look at our text, beginning in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. You've caused us to be born again. You hold us by your power. You have given us new life and you've brought us out of darkness into light. Lord, help us to hear your voice, to see what it is you have for us today and to know how we are to live in the midst of this hostile world. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. He begins with something that I don't want to just pass over. He says, beloved. Beloved. Um, oftentimes, whenever uh, the, the biblical writers, uh, whether it be Paul or Peter or James, um, are writing, they address their audience as beloved, as brethren, or as beloved brethren, or things like that. Um, and uh, we, we can easily just kind of skip right over that. Okay, that's just the address. Uh, but let's linger there for a moment. We are beloved of God. He loves us. 
Um, this is, uh, as it's written, it's, it's, it's an expression of affection from Peter towards those who he's writing to. Uh, but we remember also uh, that, that Peter describes believers as those who are beloved of God, that have been chosen by the Father. And, uh, and he loves us. Uh, also, let's also take this as this is part of the basis on which the command that he gives us. Um, he, he says, beloved, I urge you. Okay. Um, he, he's, he's not saying I'm going to urge you to do this so that you will be accepted and loved by God. No, he's stating the fact you are beloved of God. He loves you. And on the basis of that fact, therefore, I urge you to do this. Uh, so, um, uh, as believers, as and I'm not. This is not something I would say to unbelievers, but to believers, uh, when we hear this commandment, we we don't need to to fall into kind of, kind of a performance mentality of feeling like I've got to live up to this so that God will love me. And under really, what we we understand is we are being called beloved, and on that basis, the fact that we are loved by God, then we live out this reality. So, then he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He's reminding us of what he's already said. He's reminding us we are not at home in this world. We are sojourners. We are people who are traveling through this life. We are exiles. We, 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 are, we are people who, to, in the world's eyes, we don't belong here. We, we again, are, are citizens of another kingdom and we are living by His rules and, and we are living as foreigners here. So, um, beloved, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So he's urging us. This is urgent. This is, this is not something that can be ignored. This is not something that we can wait for later about. But he urges us, because we're strangers and aliens in this world, that we are to abstain. We are to, to, uh, uh, to put away... Um, the passions of the flesh. Uh, now, what are these passions, these strong desires? Oftentimes, when we think of a, of a, a text like this, uh, we think immediately to the realm of, of sexual sin, of sexual temptation. Uh, and it can be that uh, we are, as believers, to abstain from sexual immorality, for this is the will of God. Um, we are to, to live pure and chaste lives. Uh, but it isn't only that. Uh, we have other passions of the flesh. We have uh, the passions of the flesh to eat now um, uh, and to overeat. And, and, uh, uh, and while gluttony is a sin and, 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 and we can, we can uh, put so much of a focus on trying to please our appetites, uh, that we do harm to our body. Um, we don't want to fall into some kind of an excess 
where we think, well, then by following a certain reg- regimen of a diet that we can somehow get God to be pleased with us. Okay? Uh, that, that, that is, that, that, that's what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. Uh, uh, a church that had to dis- disfellowship someone because they were overweight. That, I think, is the kind of asceticism uh, of trying to treat the body harshly uh, that Paul warns about. That is, that is a, 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 a form of godliness that denies its power. That denies the gospel's power. Um, uh, no, no. Uh, at the same time, because we have been accepted by God, because we are, are loved by Him, we are to abstain from those passions. Uh, not in order to get Him to accept us, not in order to be able to stay in the church, uh, but we do that because we have been accepted by Him. Uh, not only the passions of, of food, but also passions of, 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 of the, the fleshly inclination that can cause us to talk about people behind their backs. Right? Gossip. That's another one of the fleshly passions. And sometimes uh, in our flesh, we can really enjoy that, right? Did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, and we kind of feel a sense of pride because we're in the know. And we know what so-and-so did over there. And that's another one of the fleshly passions, we have many different fleshly passions, whether it be sexual, whether it be, whether it be our, our desire to eat, whether it be, um, and, and that was the one that, uh, that got um, Esau, the desire to eat, or yeah, he sold his birthright because he wanted a bowl of soup. Uh, we have uh, uh, um, the fleshly passion of, of, uh, of, of wanting to be in the know of, or, of, or of, uh, of wanting to have more stuff, uh, money, the desire for money and, and, uh, and accumulation of wealth. That's another fleshly passion. Um, Paul, or not Paul, Peter here warns us to abstain from those passions, uh, whatever kind of passions they are, because they wage war against our souls. We live in the midst of a war. And so often we think we're living in peacetime. We see the world all around us, and everybody looks pretty happy. Everybody, they've got all their stuff that they, they want and, and we want to make peace with the world and, and just sit back, live a comfortable life just like everybody else in the world. But we're strangers and aliens. Our priorities are not the priorities of this world. Um, These things, these passions, they wage war against our, cell, our souls. Um, they want to destroy us. The desire to, uh, for sexual temptation, the desire for talking about other people behind their backs and gossip and things like that, the desire for accumulating wealth, all of these things. Not that wealth in and of itself is a bad thing, but the love of money 
right? The desire for that accumulation, um, uh, that is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Um, And it wages war against our souls and it wants to damage and, and destroy us if we give in to the passions instead of clinging to Christ as our ultimate treasure. He is to be our ultimate treasure. He is to be uh, what, what we have our highest allegiance to. Not the things of, of this world that, that we want to make peace with. We've got to be reminded that these, these things that seem like perfectly natural desires that we have that everybody else in the world seems to be able to enjoy, they're at war with us. They want to make us comfortable. They want to make us sit at ease in Zion. But they wage war against our soul. Peter then tells us in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you, and when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter tells us, while we live as strangers and aliens in this world, we want to keep our behavior, keep our conduct honorable. We want to live as good citizens in this world. Pay our taxes. Um, We're not to revile in return when people revile us. All of those things. We live as good citizens in this world. We keep our behavior honorable so that when they speak evil against you, as, when they speak against you, as, I keep wanting to say speak evil, but that's not what it says. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Now, Believers, we know what it's like to be spoken evil of because of our faith in Christ, don't we? If we say homosexuality is sin because that's what the Bible says, then people will speak evil of us. They will call us evildoers because we're bigots, right? They'll say we're hateful. Because we're saying what the Bible says about homosexuality. If we say there are two genders, male and female, if, if, if we say that, people will call us evildoers, they will call us hateful bigots, because we're saying what the Bible says. So we know what it is to be called evil because of our good behavior in Christ. Um, It says, when they speak evil, uh, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So believers, that is going to happen. People are going to call us evildoers, just like the early church. Just like the early church. Um, In the early church, one of the accusations against early Christians was the, the, the idea that they were cannibals, right? 
Because Jesus told them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And, and, and they, 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 they talked about the Lord's Supper in this way. That we're partaking of, of the flesh and blood of Jesus. And the outsiders, they would hear that kind of language and think, they're cannibals. And they would accuse believers as things which they had no understanding about at all. Or, one of the other factors in which believers could be called wicked because of their good behavior in Christ is the fact that they would only worship one God. Uh, in the Roman world, uh, you could worship whatever God you wanted to, but if you didn't worship the emperor, if you didn't worship uh, the gods along with them, um, then you must be a hater of mankind, right? Because you want the city of Ephesus to be blessed because uh, with good crops and everything, so you've got to join in with them as they worship Diana, right? And you must be not a good citizen if you don't. And so there was this accusation against Christians because they only worship the one true God. It has been this way since the beginning. Uh, we can understand it. It was that way as for the early Christians. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you too. But here it says... When they speak evil, I keep saying that. <laughs> when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the response would be, as believers, we are to do good deeds. We're not saved by our good deeds. We're not saved by, 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 uh, uh, by being uh, people who, who do good deeds, but... Like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we're the salt of the earth. We're, we're like a city set on a hill and we're to let our light shine so that when people see our good works, they'll glorify God. Same kind of language here. As believers, we don't do good deeds in order to be saved. Instead, we have been saved by Him. We have been changed. We, have been, uh, we, have been, been, we are already beloved in Him. And on that basis, we go and we serve in our communities. Um, whether that's... Uh, for some examples in the church where I pastor, uh, we power wash houses in our community. We have been involved in... Um, um, uh, giving sack lunches to children during the summer. We have, have uh, members of our church that uh, uh, deliver meals for Meals on Wheels and, and all of those things. And, and I can think of an example of uh, um, um, the Church of Brook Hills, which is in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, they, one of their pastors called uh, their local... Um, uh, foster care agency and wanted to know if is there any needs that you, that you have that we can help. And uh, the person on the other end uh, said, well, we need about, you know, this many homes for, for children to, to uh, uh, and it was a, a large number. I don't remember how many it was. And so they went back to their church and they got, they, they made the need known and, and 
I'm thinking tens of people, or maybe even hundreds of people, homes in their in their this mega church, uh, decided we're gonna we're gonna take care of this need, and they ended up taking care of all the foster care needs in their county. Uh, in this, in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I mean, that's the kind of, of good deeds that when the outside world looks at it and they think, wow, <laughs> something is different about these people. What made these people do this kind of a thing? Um, he says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's a visitation coming. We're circling back around to where we started. There's a visitation coming. God told Moses that whenever he came to punish, he would, he would punish. Um, when he came to visit, he would visit the sins of the people. And uh, Jesus is coming someday. There is a judgment that is coming someday for the righteous and the unrighteous. One of these days, our bodies will be raised, both the righteous and the unrighteous, and there will be a final judgment. Believers, we will find our security and our hope and our shield to be in Jesus Christ. The wrath that we deserve because of the wicked things that we have done in our lives has already been poured out on Jesus and His wrath has been propitiated. It has been satisfied. But in that visitation, in that judgment that one day will be, there will be people who have still rebelled against Jesus. They have not bowed their knee to Jesus. And they will not have the same shield that we have. There will one day be a time whenever the Lord will cast the souls of the wicked into hell where they will burn forever and ever and ever. And there will be no relief. Eternal Constant torment forever. So when this visitation comes, we want to see people glorify God on that day and not be thrown into the lake of fire which burns forever. We want to see them glorify God. So... We keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they will see our good works and they will change. They will change. They will will see that and they'll ask, "What's what's different about you? And that they might trust in Christ so that on that day, they won't still stand in rebellion against Jesus, but instead they will glorify Him. Though now they speak against us as evildoers, on that day, we want them to join with us in glorifying Him and praising Him forever and ever and ever. This is weighty. 
There is a judgment that is coming and every person, whether righteous or unrighteous, will one day be judged. And we know that there is no hope for those who have not trusted in Christ. Keeping our conduct honorable among the unbelievers is one way that we hold out hope that they might trust in Christ as well. When, why is it that we are to do the things that He says here? Well, one, because we've been beloved by God. He has changed us. He has made us new. But also, we abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. We keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that people would come to know Jesus. That they would come to love Him the way we love Him. And that they might glorify God when that final day comes.